You're listening to a Sci-Fi Fangirls podcast. Geek like a girl. Hey, Xenites. Welcome back to Xena 25, the 25th anniversary podcast. I'm your host, Katie Wilson, and... I say this every podcast episode, but we have a very, very exciting episode this week because I'm being joined by the King of Thieves himself, Bruce Campbell. And you know what? I don't even want to wait. Let's just let's just hop right on into this. So guys, please welcome Bruce Campbell. Uh-huh. Bruce, I am so excited to be chatting with you here today. How uh-huh. have you been? <laughs> uh, good, good. I've been... Um feeling lots of things uh, just because I'm a method actor and uh, since I was the king of thieves it's hard to shake that character so I go into 7-Eleven next thing you know I got some cinnamon gum in my pocket how did it get there oh, no. I don't know training training <laughs> from Xena yeah uh, it's been crazy times so uh, are you are you hanging in there at least this year well you know it's weird a couple things I live on top of a mountain in in the middle of nowhere in Oregon and um, if you didn't read the papers I wouldn't know what was happening so I decided to not read the papers so I don't know what anyone is talking about everyone seems to be worried about some sort of thing that's going around so I I don't know I just I sent up smoke signals and and they send a drone with my uh, food so it's worse out fine. <laughs> Well, good, good. You know, this is a little bit random, but you mentioned, you know, being in Oregon. I read somewhere that when you first moved there, your neighbors showed up like, hey, you uh, you played a cowboy one time. Come help us move some cattle. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. I uh, My driveway is uh, seven tenths of a mile up a hill. And um, the day that I moved in there, this old Lincoln Continental comes chugging up. That's what ranchers drive for some reason. They, they drive trucks or Lincoln Continentals. This guy comes bombing up. He goes, I understand you used to be a cowboy on a TV show. I said, yes, sir. He goes, well, why don't you, this Saturday, why don't you help me run 100 head of cattle up the road? And I, I was like, okay, wait, are you serious? He goes, yeah, serious as a heart attack. Come on now. And so it was sort of like he was testing me to see if I was like a worthy neighbor. <laughs> so I'm like, you got a horse? He goes, yeah, of course I got a horse. So I'm like, what time do you want me there? Eight o'clock. So I met all my neighbors that next morning. I wore a big, uh, bright colored Hawaiian shirt and a dumb hat. And darned if we didn't take those hundred head of cattle from one pasture to another. My job was we just blocked driveways. That's all we did. The, the cows even knew where they were supposed to go. So it wasn't as thrilling as I'm making it out to be. I mean, it sounds pretty exciting. And did did at least you pass the <laughs> uh, the neighbor qualification? Oh, I did. Good. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's like, you know what? You're all right. You're all right. <laughs> so I had to, I had to get past that because you know I was a city slicker, and there was a huge learning curve moving moving from Los Angeles to uh, rural Oregon. I I dragged my wife there, kicking and screaming. I can imagine. I can imagine. I do have to give you a huge congratulations and happy 25th anniversary to Xeno Warrior Princess. It's crazy that that's 25 years old. That's kind of insane. Did you ever think that a show that you worked on 25 years ago would still be celebrated and loved today? Well, Evil Dead is 40 years old, and they seem to have not forgotten that yet. So, yeah, (laughs) longevity does happen. But TV is interesting. You know, I worked on both Xena and Hercules, and it's interesting how the two shows sort of ingrain themselves in different ways. Hercules, classic, you know, 
get little Billy his medicine story. But Xena was, which spun off from Hercules, was a much more complex dynamic. So as a result, that show, I think, has more long-term resonance because it wasn't just save the village and fight the evil warlord. There was more going on about their relationship, about women, about the whole bit. It was funny. They were referred to initially as the little show. Because, you know, I directed and I was I played Autolycus first on Hercules. And so Xena started in 16 millimeter. We were, Hercules was 35 millimeter. And so they were sort of trying this spinoff thing. And it's funny how Xena became really the bigger show, but we referred to it as the little show or the, some would say, some would say, and I'm not going to name names. Some would say the girl show. It was the girl show. But so it was very impressive to be able to watch it from early on and to get to know Lucy and to watch the process. Because I had known Rob Chappert. That's how I got the part. You know, Rob Chappert and Sam Raymond and I have been partners for 100 years. And so Rob's like, hey, I got this King of Thieves guy. Why don't you come down and play it? And it was really, really, really fun to watch. I was so excited for everyone because that show, it just took off. And then, then I think the next season was they jumped up to 35 millimeter. I think only one season they were in 16 millimeter. Wow. I didn't know that. That's actually really fascinating. Yeah. You test, you test shows. You don't know you're going to spin off this warrior princess. Who the hell knows? So let's, let's do the first season kind of on the cheap, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then they, they, they definitely stepped up and it was just, uh, I was glad to be a part of it. I didn't always fit in only because my character is always trying to get in Lucy's pants. You know, <laughs> he's a, uh, you can't always trust him, but they, they found enough good uses for him. I think I have the distinction of directing. I directed two Xena episodes, mm-hmm. the King of Assassins, and then, and which came out fine. It was Ted Raimi playing two different parts. I love that episode. It's a great one. We get Gina Torres too. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And, and then I directed, I believe the most reviled Xena episode, which no. was the key to the kingdom. It's such a great episode. <laughs> Uh, God bless you for that. But it, <laughs> look, it's silly. Rob hires me and Ted. What what do you expect us to do on this show? I mean, we were looking for every opportunity to do <laughs> gags left and right. But I think by that time, the storylines had actually matured a little bit. So this was kind of weird blip. I think Lucy may have even played Meg. Yeah. In that, you know, her 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 parallel character. So the fans were like, "Okay, Campbell, quit." screwing around with our Xena. Really? I think they were, uh, they were a little pissed. Yeah. We've had a lot of episodes where we get, you know, these incredible doppelgangers, but you actually got to direct two episodes with two separate characters, doppelgangers. Was that on purpose or is that just how it unfolded for you? Uh, a, A lot of times in episodic TV, it's whatever falls off the truck. When they write these episodes, uh, who winds up to direct it, you know, so I, I just sort of came and went. I really had no rhyme or reason for, they sort of, you, they would tell you what your episode was and you would go, oh, okay, it's Kate of the Kingdom. Here we go. And you've known Ted for quite some time as well. Yeah, I used to babysit Ted. I've known, I've known Ted since he was nine. So Ted, the fun thing with Ted is uh, I know how he works. So I know to make sure you got two cameras rolling because he'll never be able to repeat the same thing twice, which is the beauty of Ted. 
Like he didn't know how to ride this horse at all. I go, well, your character would know how to ride the horse. So if you're afraid of the horse then be afraid of the horse. And if you can't manhandle it, then you can't manhandle it. That's the way it's just the way it is. You can't get on it then you can't get on it. We'll figure something out. So that was, that was, um, Ted was always a joy. And then obviously Ted came in and became a, you know, a part of, part of the gang. I think, I don't know. I don't know how many seasons in halfway through maybe. Yeah. He, he, I believe Ted's first episode was Callisto, which was season one. Oh, wow. He came and went and then they, they dumped him in as a regular, but you know, Ted, I tell you between the two shows, I'm going to always say this between um, Kevin and Michael on the Hercules side and you know, on the other side with Lucy and Renee, they could not have picked two more or four more reliable leads. You know, uh, as far as Zena goes, Lucy and Renee, you know, Renee O'Connor, she is by far the best at the fight scenes. Watch her sometimes. Just watch her. She did us. I, I directed her and us. She fought these guys with a staff around a, like a jacuzzi, like it was a spa. And uh, she was so damn sharp. It's unbelievable. And they would have these sequences go on for a bit. And over the years, we learned to break them up so that you're trying, you're learning these things on the fly. You're back, you know, when in between takes, you're with the stunt guy going, okay, block, chop, 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 duck, kick. And you're trying to work these out. TV moves very quickly. So, but she, man, she had never had a problem getting these routines. I can't speak for Lucy, but I know that we get halfway through a fight scene and you go, oh, crap, what is the move coming up next? Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, God, God. <laughs> or you start to get tired. You know, what are we, boxers? You know, yeah. we're actors. So they, they'd have these long fight sequences. So I really give both, uh, you know, Renee and Lucy a lot of credit. I know Lucy trained a lot and I, Renee was in, you know, very good physical shape. And they were a great pair. They just. You don't know that when you cast these people. That's the thing. Same with same on the Herc side. You have no idea. These two people could wind up hating each other for all you know, or there's no chemistry. In this case, obviously the chemistry with Renee and Lucy was very strong. And uh, Lucy, she just blew everyone away. They brought her in, as I understand it, as like a three episode arc in Hercules. And the executives were like, okay, stop. Who is that? <laughs> And that happens every so often. You know, Lucy was the on-air welcome to New Zealand woman that did the videos on the airplanes when I flew in to work on Hercules. She was blonde. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm Lucy here. Welcome to New Zealand. Oh, lots of great stuff here. right? <laughs> and I, she's very perky. You know, she's got that great personality, big smile. I'm like, oh, okay. Then you yeah, come to find out later that... Um, you know, she was the sort of a, the Air New Zealand, welcome to New Zealand, you know, spokesperson. It was pretty funny. And then she became the warrior princess. Yeah, you, you actually mentioned how, how good Renee was at all the, the choreography. Um, and it's funny because in talking to them now, Renee still loves all that. She's like, oh, I'd love to get back into like doing some active like <laughs> stunt fighting and and lucy's like no oh, yeah. i'm good <laughs> yo oh yeah lucy's so over it and with ted <laughs> you have to be careful he'll break stuff because he's just you know he'll the sword will fly out of his hand he'll turn in the wrong direction knock a vase over so you know you're catching lightning in a bottle <laughs> <laughs> 
It's true. And since we are talking about uh, directing, um, we actually do have a question from a, a Xena fan named Chris, and we do have an audio clip to play for you. Uh, and it's uh, okay. in regards to your directing. Hey, Bruce, this is Chris Harnick. I just would like to know the hardest or toughest note you ever gave Lucy Lawless while directing her on Xena. You know, the thing with her is I learn. I, you've got to learn your actors. Like Lucy wasn't into, okay, Lucy, take like, she's playing Meg, right? So I said, okay, so at the end of the scene, take this grape, toss it up in the air and, and catch it and catch it in your throat and choke on it, you know? And she, she had to explain enough of that. Look, you and Ted do the dumb gags. Okay. She goes, I can't, I can't really do that. If something weird, I, she goes, let me try and get something in my mouth. If something weird happens, that'll happen, but I can't plan crap like that. And so we are like, no problem. It's fine. We we're just looking for a way to do something at the scene. So she did something as Meg, which was perfectly fine. You know, it's weird though, but there are some things that happen during takes that you can't help. Like there was a car wash directly connected to the early stage of Xena. And you couldn't tell them to shut their car wash off, which was this big <laughs> sound. Cause these we're shooting in warehouses. These are not sound stages. We used to joke, they call them sound stages cause you can hear every sound. <laughs> you know, we used to take rocks and throw them up at the pigeons to get them off the metal roof so that they would shut up. But so Lucy's got this speech with this little kid in her arms and we're doing this slow track in. As we're gonna push in, she's got this dialogue and halfway through the move, we hear and she's doing the whole single tear thing, right? It's not something you wanna do a lot. I'm like, that freaking car wash had better go off by the time we get in on her face. And it moves in and it moves in and it gets right in there turns off and then Lucy sings the lines. I'm like, Oh my God, it just makes you want to shit because you know, you, you want to capture that. You don't want anything to screw that up. And so we had another sound stage that had a train track going directly behind it. So we actually had a joke where if the train track went right behind this place called cool stores, the camera guys would shake the camera and we would all grab onto the set and make it look like it was an earthquake as the train went by, <laughs> if it happened during the middle of the take. So it's, it's funny how TV shows can be challenging for completely random reasons. Especially as a director. Mm -hmm. So I would love to know if you happen to remember your first day on the Xena set as Autolycus. So you're going in for your first episode as Autolycus. Like, what was that first day like for you? I think it was directed by my buddy John Cameron. It was, I think, Autolycus's intro episode. It was on a boat. There was something where he had a he had a toothpick. It was like a he was treating it like a magic toothpick. Very, very weird kind of convoluted episode. Well, I had known I got to know Lucy, so she was she was very easy to join in on that. And I was familiar with the New Zealand method of filming because of Hercules. And I even saw some of the random crew members. So it, it was not bad at all. Uh, it's just you had to then figure out where does, where does that character who's on two shows, where does he fit in this show? And I always like to exploit more of a sexier dynamic that, you know, Autolycus would be totally attracted to Xena. And so, you know, we wound up getting put together fairly often. And it was just 
great, especially when you're working with someone like Lucy. Look, no one's ever going to tell a crappy story about her. You're you're going to have to look really long and deep for someone to say Lucy Lawless threw a shit fit or Lucy Lawless turned a table over. I mean, there's the tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand and other countries too. Like you don't put your head above the other poppies because that's like making yourself too special. So no one wants to be special in New Zealand. And she even, she was pronounced the richest woman in New Zealand at some point and was derided for it. Like, Oh yeah. Who do you think you are? She never says anything about it. I mean, nothing, nothing. And she's the most humble TV star you'll ever meet in your life. And very, you know, she's, she is, she was so not Zena, which I don't know if she'll kill me for saying that or not, but I travel with her to promotional events and she's got this enormous purse that's completely full of shit. And she just turns it upside down and shakes all the shit out in the lounge because she can't find anything in the purse. I'm like, God damn it. Where did I put that thing? Like, like a scatterbrain, right? And you yeah. go, no, she's a warrior princess. It's like, yeah, when she has to be, she can. And that's the, that's the fun thing about Lucy. You know, she thought it was all, she would, none of it was going to be too serious. And then it's kind of in- interesting to see how, because it, it, it garnered a, a very substantial gay following that she then kind of joined in that cause and has become a bit of a, a spokesperson. And that's always yeah. impressive to see too. But most impressive is that she had to take a crap in a bag for about three days on top of some oil rig (laughs) (laughs) near the Arctic. I'm like, you know what? That's my warrior princess. You know, a a lot of uh, actors talk, they talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Like, can you chase a whale boat, you know, and harass it in dangerous rough seas? Can you sit on top of an oil rig? So she, she will always have street cred in my book because it's like, okay, that's how you protest. I think she even <laughs> admits it too, though. She's said that she's not like Xena, which is so funny. But then, you know, you do kind of look at some of the things she's done in her life and you're like, oh, I don't think she gives herself as much credit. She has a strong moral core. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's the best thing because, look, that stuff comes out. Uh, people can see it in your eyes as, as an actor. You know, she she has a lot of personal strength and she can bring it, but yeah, it's nice to see that she's also really just kind of a goofball at the same time. Well, speaking of Lucy, we do have a fun little game for you. If you're up for it, (laughs) Okay. it's called, (laughs) it's called who said it? Lucy lawless, Ruby, Noby or Xena. So Ruby, hopefully (laughs) I'll have a a pulse on because she was pretty (laughs) obnoxious. (laughs) Well, I'm going to give you a quote. (laughs) You got to tell me if it's Lucy Zena or Ruby, who said this thing, okay? Okay. First one. He's even less qualified at this age to save the world. Uh, probably, that sounds like Ruby. It is Lucy. <laughs> that I is a Lucy quote. <laughs> Referring to me? <laughs> yes. Uh, she said it I'm to you. coming for her. Yeah, she said it to you, I believe, in an interview. <laughs> okay, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> All right, next one. I can't give up. This chest is too important to my friends. Well, that's Zena. Yeah, that one's Zena. Yeah, this chest. It's a chest of diamonds or whatever. <laughs> All right, next one. You say one more dumb thing. I'm going to say a lot of dumb things was my answer. 
Uh, that's definitely Ruby. Yeah, that is. That is. Yeah, because that was my response. I say a lot of dumb things. Yep. Next one is, I guess I'm not the only one who underestimated you. I don't know. That sounds a little generic. Zena. <laughs> it's Ruby. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, but it does also sound Whatever. like a line from Zena as well. Um, all right. Last one is, yes, because he's an ashhole. That's, that's Lucy. That's Lucy. <laughs> you did really well. Yeah, that's kind of media. What, I get like three out of five or three out of six, about 50%. <laughs> Let's see how everybody else does with their little trick questions. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I got put on the spot. I had Lucy and Renee ask me Xena trivia, and that was that was embarrassing oh, enough. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk a little bit specifically about Autolycus. And one of the things that I loved the most was how he was kind of able to be this very overconfident character, but he still managed to be extremely endearing in that. So I'm curious if that's something that you were specifically trying to showcase in your character, or if it's just something that just happened. All of these things are an evolution. The actor shows up with their little bag of tricks. And uh, where I come from, it's, I feel it's important to give the character a rounded personality that a hero is not just a hero. He can do other things too. I uh, can make mistakes. And the bad guy isn't just the bad guy. Like uh, in the movie Unforgiven, Gene Hackman isn't just a nasty sheriff. He's also got problems with his house and he's trying to fix the leaks in his roof. You know, <laughs> so that it, it brings an extra uh, dynamic to it. And I always feel that even if you're a king of thieves, that you still have to give enough endearing because look lisa or, or you know lucy recruits him to come and do stuff so he has to be trustworthy enough and be helpful enough so yeah that's all you want to do is you want to show that it's not all just bluster it's not all bravado it's not all one-liners but you know when the opportunity arises you might as well take it because one of the best things about xena was our ability to uh have fun with the material when particularly when it seemed important, like when the, the script needed help, we were able to jump in. And also there was far less blood involved for Autolycus than your previous projects. <laughs> oh man, let me tell you, uh, Autolycus was a dream. The only <laughs> challenging thing for me was I, I did other work because it wasn't, you know, I was employed not as a regular. My, my contracts were always as a recurring. So this season we'll bring in to direct an episode and be in three episodes or whatever. So that was more how that was. So I do other work. So I would shave my mustache and you can tell if you study like anything, fake beards, fake mustaches, they drive me crazy in movies. Um, and especially now with everything being so high definition that whenever I could, I would always grow the mustache with a little spit thing. Um, because I would then use it, I would touch it, and it would always feel really comfortable. It wouldn't affect any facial gestures or anything. But when you put a fake mustache or beard on, which sometimes if I didn't have time, like I was doing Ellen at the same time. Uh, so I'd come from Ellen completely clean-shaven. I played her boss. And then I'd, they'd put a fake one on my lip, and I wouldn't touch it because it felt too weird. And you'd have to put a half smile on your face when they glued it on. Otherwise, it would restrict your movement 
or the the tip of it would go kasproing, it would pop off your face, you know. So I always wanted to be able to grow it for real. But I, the episodes, there's some episodes that torture me when uh, I, I know it from looking at it that it's fake. Wow, I don't think I would have called that out if I go back and watch. I wonder. I wonder. I'd have to do that as a little test. Yeah, you you'd see it eventually, but you know when it, it's so much more fun when it's real because then you're not worried about what happens. Like we did a whole episode that was, you know, called tsunami, which was the boat. It was basically the Poseidon adventure and the boat gets turned upside down. So we, we knew we were going to be wet the entire time. And the funny thing about that particular episode was that, you know, my character is pretty talky, blah, 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 blah. And Lucy, you know, Zena doesn't, she's a little more monosyllabic. She doesn't, she has the occasional speech, this and that, but she's not a real chatty Kathy. Mm-hmm. Well, this one, they issued a memo to the whole cast and crew. Sorry, everyone, because of the way the set is designed and the leaking water, we have to use special pumps and it's going to drip and make water, make noise. So we apologize, but everything you say in this episode in the ship set will have to be re-recorded later. Whoa. The sound will be bad. And so in this one particular episode, it's Lucy who's given all the commands. Atalicus, go here, do that. Gabrielle, go here, do that. And I off in the corner, I'm laughing my ass off because I'm like, oh, now they give Lucy all the dialogue. And then Atalicus <laughs> would go, right, sounds good. And then he'd go away, you know. And so I, I, I think I had the least amount of episodes and the uh, amount of dialogue in that particular episode. So it's weird how sometimes that's just going to happen. Then, of course, we had the big near miss with that tank. We had a tank rupture. It was the it was a very exciting episode. We were supposed to swim out from this wreck, and they had given us like uh, diving lessons in the the local pool, and we were gonna. They built this large square tank and filled it with water in the stage, and we were sitting around getting ready to shoot something we hear these enormous bangs and it was the rivets popping out of the side of this enormous fish tank essentially and a whole wall started to fall open and the whole crew and cast were right there it hit a support beam and then the water gushed out on each side and basically we had our own tsunami in that stage that's amazing everyone hauled ass out of there and you know camera cases are floating in the water and it's like you saw the producer who normally Eric Grundeman, normally a very, very chipper guy, just going, okay, everyone go home. <laughs> we are so done for today. It's amazing when over six seasons, when you have stunts and effects and things like that, um, stuff's going to happen. Uh, I don't know how much Lucy got hurt. I know Kevin got a sword in the head at one point on Hercules, uh, you know, we, you all get bashed up, but when you have shows that have all this spectacle and hoisting people up in harnesses and stunts and all that, I'm amazed that more people, you know, didn't get hurt. And how about, how about yourself? Cause you, Autolycus did do some pretty awesome fighting and, uh, you know, how, how was learning those stunts for you? Not easy. Uh, it was very intimidating because the Maori stunt guys, uh, well, the half of them are Maori, the stunt guys. And they're all the rugby player guys, you know, who do the Hawkeye and shit like that. These are the toughest sons of bitches I've ever 
you're not really fighting them. No, of course you're not. I remember shooting one thing in a park where it was like 10 of these guys sort of attacked me, you know, and I'm supposed to spin around and do this and that. And, and, uh, the stunt quit is like, okay, Bruce. Yep. Okay. Here we go. Rock. Let's do it. And I'm like, Oh my God, I, I just had breakfast. What's happening here? Attacked by these very, you know, and the funny thing about the Kiwi stunt guys is they didn't use pads. They'd take pads that were like gymnastic pads that were about a half inch thick and they'd put those on the ground and then put leaves over it or grass over it, whatever. That was the padding that they used. They didn't like any kind of bulky padding because every time you punch them, they would flip themselves, you know? And I tell you, the acrobatics of some of these stunt guys was uh, very impressive. And on Ash versus Evil Dead, we had a few uh, guys who had been, went all the way back to to Xena who worked on Ash vs. Evil Dead. But now they're the crusty old coordinators who are all banged up, you know, from all of their time on Xena. But they did, you know, they did, a, they did a good job protecting us. You know, here's the smartest thing they ever did. And I learned a lot of lessons as a director. I learned the discipline. The way they shoot there, they shoot from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And they don't really want to do overtime. I remember my very first episode I directed as a director was back in Hercules. I wanted an extra half an hour for the day. And you have to ask the assistant director who then asks the head of the departments, Hey, can, can they do overtime? And most of the time they come back with, nah, we're fine. Thanks. And they'll turn you down the way the unions are structured there. Like in America, you say, <laughs> Hey guys, we're working two hours of overtime tonight. You just announce it. You don't get approval there. You have to get it approved. And they gave it to me the first day because they go, you're new. This is your first episode. But we don't really do. And don't wow. ever ask on a Friday. Just don't ask. If you want, unless you want dagger stares. Oof. But what's so cool is you could plan dinner with friends every night at 730. And you would never be late. Because they just, they don't do it. They, they, they're like 12 hours is all you need of our time. And 12 hours is plenty. Most people work eight hours. And so as a director, I mean, I give my shot list to the, the assistant director and go, okay, buddy, put the times when these shots are supposed to be in the can. And I called it their, their, their real time timeline because it was real. If they meant get this done by noon, you kind of had to get that done by noon. You could not afford to fall behind during the course of your day. And it, it's just a great, great discipline. I feel like I'm learning so much about filmmaking in New Zealand, uh, especially talking with Lucy, Renee and Ted, because they were talking all about like the breaks and the biscuits and directors hated it because they had to take these these breaks um, for oh, yeah. tea time. As a director, <laughs> I yeah. I met James Cameron once and he worked in London and they had the same thing. Uh, it's called tea time. And it was about five thirty, something like that. You had to stop for about 20 minutes. They get the hacky sack out. They have uh, sausage rolls and stuff like that. And as a director, you just slap your forehead going, really guys, really? Uh, I mean, I've, I've cut shots because of tea time. Really? Yeah. You, you actually have to factor it in. I started putting it in my timeline. Uh, don't forget tea time. You have to factor the 20 minutes in for tea time. And so anyway, stunt wise, uh, um, a lot of us, I think came out pretty good because they established a great rule on these shows. 
that actors don't fight actors. Actors only fight stunt guys because the stunt guy will 99% of the time not hit you. And if they think they're going to hit you, they'll drop the sword. They'll call cut. They will protect you. Another actor, like I had to do a fight scene during the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. with an actor who was known for punching Patrick Dempsey in the face and breaking his nose in three places during a fight scene. Whoa. Because he got too amped up. So I had to do a fight scene with this guy. And I see him before the take going, <sighs> he's getting himself really worked up. I'm like, hey, dude, you know, we can go half speed. Let's not forget our positions, you know. And that was problematic. But you fight a stunt guy. And even if you make a mistake and hit him, which I'm grateful to say I have never clocked a stunt guy. Um, <laughs> You know, if you hit another actor, you can put yourself out of shooting. I mean, yeah. if you have to stop shooting, that's a bozo no-no. So they would have the guest star fight a stunt guy. And then, you know, Lucy would fight the stunt version of that guest star. It, it really made so much sense. It's a second unit crew to shoot all the fights and stunts. They were so smart about carving out which was going to be main unit with all the lead actors and which was going to be second unit. But second unit had a huge responsibility because they shot most of the fight scene. So they were, they were, an you know, an episode I think was like seven days or something like that. Well, the second unit guys had four days themselves just to clean up all the other stuff. So it was a, it was really a great setup, great stunt people to this day. The Kiwis have some of the best uh, stunt crews in the world. And speaking of getting hit or a stunt gone wrong, uh, we actually have another question slash story from a fan named Jessica for you. Hi, Bruce. This is Jessica. I don't know if you remember this or not, but a couple years back, I met you at a convention. I was dressed like Xena, and I went to bend down to grab a T-shirt for you to sign, and I accidentally hit you in the face with the hilt of my sword, I just want you to know it is years later and I am still mortified and I am so sorry. And I still feel bad. <laughs> and Oh my God. Please, will you ever forgive me? I didn't mean it. And thank you for still signing my t-shirt any, even though I hit you in the face. You're awesome. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all, thank you for checking in. Uh, now I know how to get a hold of you. Uh, I know how to, my lawyer can get a hold of you now. So thank you for your honesty for that. <laughs> I lost years of work because of that insensitive movement of yours. But you know what? We have crises in our life and we move past. So I'm willing to forgive, but I won't forget. <laughs> oh, she felt she felt so bad about that one. Oh. <laughs> I can imagine. Geez, yeah, you wouldn't want to clock uh, someone that you can't to get their autograph. Yeah. Bash okay. him in the head. No kidding. Do you still have any costume pieces or props uh, from Xena? I see them at conventions all the time. I don't even need to keep them. You know, oh, this is the original uh, Chakram from episode 102. I'm like, oh, okay. I would have kept an outfit. That would have been kind of, the, the green vest uh, would have been kind of fun. The Kiwis are excellent craftsmen, but leather is heavy. And they wouldn't really play the pleather game. Uh, when you put gauntlets on, it's, it's heavy, legitimate 
leather. Like I, I had a pair of sandals one time. I had Birkenstocks that busted on me, but I was directing an episode. I took my Birkenstocks to basically the Xena sweatshop. It was this massive building where you had a conning tower in the middle of it where the supervisors could watch where all the workers worked. It wasn't built for Xena, but it was, you know, it was some industrial thing, but it worked perfect for it. So they had a metal shop. They had a leather shop. Uh, so I went to the leather shop and I gave my Birkenstocks and I said, can you guys think you guys can fix this? Oh yeah. Zip, 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 zip. My Birkenstocks were better than ever. Um, but you know, real craftsmen, real, real metal, uh, as a director, I, I think I went to move one of the tables on set and I just about threw my back out because I went, this is a solid wood table. What the hell is happening here? So <laughs> yeah, you run into a set, it would knock you into next week. You know, they're very serious craftsmen. And, and that's why to this day, geez, it was fun on Ash versus Evil Dead to go down and run into those same people who were thriving 20 some odd years later, as we're, as we're celebrating 25 years, those crew members, some of them are still going strong. And, and the industry has stayed with much credit to Mr. Rob Tapper, who moved to New Zealand, kept the production there. He does the shoots where you go home at night. If you shoot in Wellington and those other towns, like for Peter Jackson, you're not going home at night. And so Rob Tapper's big hook to all the crew was, you want to go home at night, you work on these productions that I do here in Auckland. And he was right. Um, do you happen to remember your first Xena convention and what it is like to see people cosplaying <laughs> Autolycus? Well, I remember Lucy's reaction. That's what I remember more than anything. And she was completely, and I'm again, I'm not going to speak too much out of school, but she was to my eyes, very unsettled by the whole thing of like, they want to know about my, 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 my personal life. They're, they're, they come up to her table. Don't forget, this is the impact uh, that, that TV has on people. A show like Xena, they come up to the table and they burst into tears. I mean, that, that's the kind of, uh, and it'll be couples. Sometimes it's gay couples saying, you got us through this very difficult time. And Lucy's trying to take this on, you know, and she's such a humble Kiwi. She, it was, I feel it was, it was overwhelming. The very first one it was just, she goes, I'm an actress from New Zealand. I'm not, yeah, I'm not their savior. I'm not anything, but she realized the impact that the show has. So I think maybe it gave her a, a new appreciation for what the show actually meant aside from ratings. It impacted people's lives in a very positive way. And that's the good part of what we do. It's sort of why we do it. We can help the world kind of forget its sicknesses for a while. That's true. Well, how about for you? Uh, Cause it must've been, I mean, you obviously have had, you know, the evil dead series and, and have had the opportunity to see fandom before Xena, but people are still, dressing up as Autolycus today and going to conventions as Autolycus. What do you think about that? I think it's awesome. I always ask them though, does anyone know who you are? <laughs> you know, when you're running around. Um, it's great. Anything that has resonance uh, decades later is always means it was worth doing. You know, my manager at the time just could not understand why I was going down there to work on these 
leather and lace shows, you know, or whatever derogatory comment he had on it. Because it wasn't network. You know, these were syndicated shows, which were really the, it's the B television, if you think of it. The A television was network. The B television was syndicated television, where, you know, it's just in whatever market they can book it in. I tried to explain to him, I go, you don't understand the joy of working on the show. Clearly you're in it just from a Hollywood perspective that I need to be on what Grey's anatomy. Would that make you happy? Uh, I'm like, this show is perfect for me. It's perfect for my sensibilities. I know all the producers, they're longtime buddies of mine. We have a problem with the script. You know, this is back in the day when, by the way, you had to develop the negative then you had to, sh- you had to ship it for three days to get back to the United States. Then they had to transfer it to videotape and then the executives would see it. Well, there was no, because you have syndication, there wasn't as much oversight. Universal did these shows, but they would have notes sometimes and we'd go, oh, we're already on to the next episode. Ah, geez, guys, (laughs) maybe next time we'll pick that up. You know, we'll try and do better next time. I've worked on TV shows where you want to make one change in one piece of dialogue, you got to get on the phone and get it approved. You're not doing anything that isn't part of uh, this plan. But we had a lot more autonomy and it was, it really gave us the creative freedom to enjoy what we were doing. And it, what I don't think what my manager realizes how challenging it actually was. I mean, you're in full costume, full makeup, uh, telling crazy stories, long, exhausting fights and fight scenes. It's, it's like, if you think I'm going down there to have a picnic, this guy, he's completely wrong. It's like, this is very challenging stuff, especially when Lucy gets rolled over by a horse. Yeah. There was a period where both leads of both shows were incapacitated. I was never busier in my life. Rob Tapper calls me on the phone. He goes, Hey, what are you doing for like the next three months? Cause I got two stars that are down and I'm like, okay, man, you picked a good time. I'm available. Let's do this. I started to go crazy on Hercules episode. It was, it was me and I, me, me and Eolus running everywhere. Hercules was like, I'm going to Thrace. I'll see you later. And then there'd be a whole episode without him. Lucy gets a horse rolled over on her doing a promotional thing for Jay Leno. And now all of a sudden Autolycus is inhabited by the body of the soul of Lucy. <laughs> So that's, that's where the kiss came in, you know, yeah. uh, a kissing Gabrielle and boy, when it shows you how much we put on those stars that when Lucy went down, I mean, there was a collective gasp among the entire production because it's like, Oh, we're basically shut down and you can't be shut down on television. So it's very funny if you watch the chronology of when this had happened to her and did your own uh, sort of investigative dig into what they had her doing during that time. Like there was a, a whole episode, a whole scene during that time period where uh, Zena's just sitting on a rock, sharpening <laughs> her sword. Yep. And she's not moving. She's just sitting on the rock, sharpening her sword. And there was another scene where she's just lying in a coffin. You know, that's it. She's just lying. So they shot anything they could of her not moving. Because, you know, can you imagine breaking your pelvis? No. No. A horse. I did a Western. 
I would not want a horse to roll over on me. No, thank you. No way. So it was an amazing scramble. And I give her tons of credit because it's like, she's playing an action figure. She's basically an athlete. And now she's got a busted pelvis on top of it. So, you know, much props to, to Lucy for just powering through that because demands, the demands are still there. Yeah. Uh, they would shoot around her and shoot other stuff and they would rewrite and things like that. But the demand was get back on that set. So I'm sure she came back completely not healed. Oof. I, yeah, I, I can't even imagine. Oof. Yeah, I can't even go there. It, just, it gives me the shivers. You, you did mention, uh, you know, getting to portray Xena for that episode briefly, but that actually does lead us to our last fan question from Emily, which we're going to play right now. Hi, Bruce and Emily. I would love to know, besides playing Autolycus and sort of playing Xena, what other character on Xena would you have liked to play? Um, I, look, just having Xena in my body was fine because I got to kiss Renee O'Connor. So, <laughs> no, I was too busy with my own character. I didn't really have any interest or desire. Like, I never looked at Ted and gone, I should, I should have played Joxer. Because Ted was perfect. Right. As the idiot Joxer. And I think Autolycus, good or bad, was pretty perfect for me. So I would have, there's really nothing to complain about. Uh, it was a very good, fun uh, character. Yeah. And, and looking back, there are some super fun storylines in the show. They kind of covered everything from these intense and epic drama, like dramatic episodes. But then we also had these like crazy, quirky episodes, some of which you directed. Uh, but I'm curious. Uh, yeah, there, which... was, there were a lot of mood swings <laughs> in that show. Yeah. A lot of mood swings from very serious to like musical. Right. And, and I'm just curious if, if looking back, like what is a storyline that you remember that you think about today and you're just like, how did we do that? That's absolutely like insane. We'd never get away with that now. Um, no, as an episode directed again, I think it was an early one where directed by my buddy, John Cameron, where we're shooting a scene in a, at a bazaar and it was on the back lot, one of the back lots there. And that particular script had been so convoluted. I said to my buddy, John, I go, John, how did we get from the castle out to here to the stall? He goes, I'm not sure. And I go, what, what are we trying to do here? Are we getting a disguise to then go back into the castle? He goes, I think that's what this is. I'm like, Oh my God, (laughs) none of us know. So there was this one scene of picking hats and stuff at a stall and, None of us knew why we were there, what we were supposed to do there, or where we went afterwards. We're like, they're just going to edit this together, and okay, that's just what we're going to do. We don't, I guess we don't have to know. They'll just, we'll just fake it. It worked out. <laughs> it worked out anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> it did, because, you know, the average person just wouldn't know. Yeah. You, you wouldn't know, unless it got, was totally confusing, but... I think it was they made it into part of some montage or whatever. I asked Ted specifically, you know, if he would be interested in doing any sort of revival uh, of the show. And he was like, no, I don't want to be Joxer anymore. Give it to some young kid. Lucy and Renee are like, yes, we'd absolutely do it if it was something like quick, easy and short. What are your thoughts on it? Would you come back if if they wanted to do some sort of revival? Oh, hell yeah. I'd make a two hour (laughs) TV movie in a second. 
I'd make them as TV movies. They started, the, the Her- Hercules started as two-hour TV movies. Yeah. I would definitely do a, I would revisit that. Although, didn't Rob Chaffer cut her head off? Well, we, character? I mean, it depends who you talk to. Because, I mean, that's what <laughs> happened. But if you ask the fans, no, uh, that, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Got it. It, was a, <laughs> it was an illusion. It was a yeah. mirage. It never really happened. Exactly. Exactly. So I think, I think oh, I we'd would, all be very forgiving of a new because ending. Because I'd make, I'd make Autolycus, he would now, he'd be training. He'd have a younger uh, person that he's training. Oh, I Who would be it. the young it's, you'd still get the young, dashing guy who thinks he's great and cool and whatever, but I'd still be the cool, older guy. Who, <laughs> hey, he he now really just runs the show. He doesn't have to break into windows or use grappling hooks or anything like that. I, think I would that's like great. to give a, an, uh, an ode to Kevin Smith. Okay. Because I think he was both shows, was he not? Yeah, yeah, he had some episodes on Xena as well. The guy was so incredibly talented that he could do comedy. He could do serious stuff. He's built like a brick shit house. Really funny guy. And he was just about to go to the U.S. and work and do like an action movie when he was finished something in China and was fooling around on some set on the side of a building and fell off. Wow. To lose a guy like that who was so gifted and kind of a rising star. It was one of the one of the weird kind of tragedies of, of between the two shows and they were both pretty happy stories. They both went over a hundred episodes, you know, six seasons, I think each one. And, uh, but it was just, it's just too bad. And, uh, but I'm grateful to have captured a lot of his greatness on both of those shows. I have only ever heard the most wonderful things about that man. And uh, I yeah. feel like he was, he's gone too soon. Because everyone, everyone always is singing his praises and just talking about all the talents that he had. So I think if if Zeno were to be revived, it would be it would be a very sad thing to not have him be a part of it. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. He's got some episodes that people can always watch if they want to see him. That is true. That is true. Well, lastly, you know, I kind of just have one last thing for you. I mean. You're an actor, sure. a writer, a director, a producer. You've been a game show host. I mean, what haven't you done that you want to do still? Uh, Ted and I have a comedy album that we just did. Stop. Are you serious? That's I've never awesome. done a comedy album before. Yeah, it's a comedy album. Um, it's called The Lost Recordings. And it's basically a historian through great pains and efforts working with the National Archives, working with the, the studios, uh, various historical societies, uh, they found a treasure trove of audio outtakes from the golden era of Hollywood and several White House uh, Oval Office meetings that have never before been heard. So it's outtakes from the Maltese Falcon, obscure stuff like Zardoz. It's Sean Connery having problems with his dentures and how they solved the problem. Uh, Yoda potentially coked out of his skull, wrecking a movie set. So there's things that we didn't know had happened that will be revealed. And Ted and I each do like 42 voices. So we're playing presidents and famous people. <laughs> and the, the fun thing is audio wise, we're trying to make them sound like they're old recordings. Like it's in mono. It's got optical track noise. It's got scratches and pops, you know, so the trick is to make it <laughs> sound 
as authentic, even though it's completely bogus. That sounds amazing. But I have a, a question for you. Will we have an appearance? Uh, will we at least see a little uh, appearance from maybe Tea Money ever again? <laughs> tea Money? That's Ted. <laughs> Ted is Tea Money. Uh, hopefully, we'll never see Tea Money ever again. No, that was a while ago, but that was money. that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> that was, I think, one of those things that were on a DVD extra, right? Yeah. <laughs> season, season four or DVD extras or whatever, like what Ted and I do when we're not on Xena. <laughs> I love it. All right, so comedy album is next. That's that's really cool. That's yeah, really comedy cool. album, and I have a book of essays that I just finished also. When you get to be my age, you think that you know shit. So... <laughs> It's a book of essays called The the Cool Side of My Pillow. There might be some deepness ahead, Ooh. danger, deep waters ahead. When can we expect that? Uh, both of them by the end of the year. Uh, I'm, I'm self, I'm putting them both out through my own enterprises. So I'm the studio. So I'll just have to yell at myself and finish them up and get them, get them done sooner. I'm, I'm basically right in the throes of finishing them both right now. So coming at you. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on that. And Again, congratulations on 25 years of Xeno Warrior Princess. It's been so yeah, incredible uh, having the opportunity to talk to you. I know you don't talk a whole lot about Xena very often, so I feel very honored. Yeah, it's interesting, but it was a great, uh, great portion of our lives. Uh, we were all uh, well-suited to do that work at the time. The fans, uh, obviously, are the ones that drive all of this. They drove the ratings initially. They drive the conventions. They drive the merchandise. So... Uh, none of this could have happened uh, without the support of the individuals out there. So uh, thanks for 25 years of support. You got it. Thank you so much, Bruce. We really appreciate it. Okay. You guys have fun. Uh, stay in touch. See you around. Wow, guys. That that was incredible. I have to say I have never had the opportunity to really talk to Bruce Gamble about Xena before and... Can we just can we all just agree that his stories are amazing? And I literally probably could have talked to him all day about the inner workings of of the Xena set. (laughs) But he was amazing. So a huge, huge thank you to Bruce Campbell for joining me on our podcast today. And a huge thank you to all of you for listening I couldn't be more appreciative and I would love it if you guys could hit that like button, that follow, that subscribe button. If you can leave us a review, that would be amazing too, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Fangirls, S-Y-F-Y-G-R-R-L-S, and I'm at the Katie Wilson. And we'll see you next time for some more Xena Warrior Princess fun. Hold up. 